Hello, and welcome to a Library Chicken edition of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine and our fabulous Patreon supporters. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And we are recording on Friday, December 6, 2019. And we were doing our happy dance a <laughs> few minutes ago <laughs> because we just finished up week 13 of the fall semester at the academy. And as you may know, we only have 14 weeks in the semester. So <laughs> I mean, I, I really like this setup because I feel like on a short semester, you work really hard and really focused and you get a lot out of it and everything builds on everything else. And it's great. But oh my gosh, at the end of it, you are so ready for the break. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and, and I love now, of course, I'm always guilty of wanting to do like way too much and, you know, and it would take all 52 weeks in the whole year to get everything done I want to do. But I mean, the the one thing I love about homeschooling is the flexibility of the schedule and the fact that you've got so much time to do things that aren't academics. And Because um, learning I, happens everywhere. Because learning happens everywhere. And I love that. I mean, we are a homeschool hybrid school, and I think sometimes we forget that, but I love that we can bring that advantage over from the homeschool world. Yes. Well, homeschooling has, I mean... I've, I've, I like to watch the students who come to us from traditional schools, like, fall back in love with learning. Like, right. most homeschoolers kind of come to us in love with learning already. But you can right. really see a difference in the kids who come from traditional schools who've kind of, I don't want to say they've had the joy beaten out of them, but some of them, it really seems that way. It really seems like someone has just taught them oh. that learning can't be fun. Well, you can absolutely see it in class participation, right? Because homeschoolers are always, the homeschoolers are the one we have to say, okay, don't answer every question, <laughs> right? Let your fellow students get get a word in edgewise, please. And uh, and that's great for the kids who have been in traditional school and have maybe gotten out of the habit of raising their hand or wanting to participate. So, yeah, so we so we love it. But we are also really, really glad to be almost to break. <laughs> the, these last few weeks are as, as tired as we are. They are so much fun because all the hard work kind of culminates in these great projects and activity right. days. It's really fun. So, well, so also tell me about the high school. Tell me what fun things you're doing over in the high school. So, well, this is, of course, they're doing finals, which are not fun at all. Nobody <laughs> likes finals. But, they're fun for us. <laughs> but I do I do feel like we would be d- doing a disservice to high school students if we did not send them off to college with the ability to write an hour-long final exam, right? Like that's Oh, absolutely. College. Absol- well, I did that to my junior high students this past week, right? Because we don't give grades, so we don't give a lot of tests. But I'm like, you know what? I want to figure out how much they're retaining from you know, the work that we do. And also they just need the test taking um, experience. So I kind of, I kind of maybe sprung a nine page history review. Let's not call it an exam (laughs) on them. And they did so well. And then I gave out apology candy at your suggestion afterward. Well, I think it's, I mean, candy is always good. Maybe I just wanted candy, Suzanne. I think you should. I didn't give you any. You don't get any apology chocolate. You That's you love give you love finals. 
But um, so 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 no one really looks forward to finals, even though I think they get tremendous satisfaction out of finishing them and doing well. I, I do think they end up enjoying the process, but right. the leading up to the process they don't like. But what they what has been really fun is the culminating project and philosophy this year. You know, this year we studied one of your favorite things, transcendentalism, because it's our U.S. history year. So transcendentalism That's is right. really the kind of American philosophical contribution. I mean, you've got Singer and some other stuff later on, but but basically transcendentalism is the biggie. I mean, until you get to the good place. Right. And then that's That's our major. Anyway, anyway, please go on. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The good place is also a major philosophical contribution to the world. Um, But so one of the, you know, one of the big things about transcendentalism, one of the really interesting, fun things about it is that transcendentalism isn't a philosophy that lives in the pages. It's a philosophy that you're supposed to take out into the world and live with. And as part of that, a lot of people started to develop these utopian communities, right? They, they developed whole yes. communities built yes. around transcendentalist principles. Yes. And, and so for their final project, the high schoolers got to design their own utopian community. And as they discovered, and as many of these people who founded utopian communities in the 19th century discovered, it's harder than you think. Like, right. You have to have safeguards in place or you'll end up like my favorite failed utopian community, Fruitlands, where everybody is so busy kind of living their best life that they forget to harvest the grain that they will need to eat. Well, and I would also like to point out that it's the men who are pretty much busy living their best lives. Right. While the women are supposed to take care of the house, make sure everybody gets fed, uh, take care of the children, make sure everybody is clothed. And I guess they're going to have to harvest the grain also <laughs> because they're supposed to live their best life also. But I guess only when the chores are done. I'm not sure. I'm right. not sure about that. Being a woman is hard. But this has been a really fun project. And it's really interesting to see that kind of values that that our students believe are worth framing your entire life around. I'm I'm really like impressed and excited and kind of feel better about the whole future of humanity looking at these projects, which is always a nice thing. Well, I mean that's such a fun project. That's such a that's such a build your own utopia is a yeah. fun that's right up there with Build Your Own Apocalypse, right? I, I, mean, I do good. love Build Your Own they're like the bookends. We should do an apocalypse <laughs> in the spring to bookend it. That's right. Well, well, I have Uh, been in the junior high a lot this week, and um, I might be deaf from all the excitement going (laughs) on, but what is happening with you guys? (laughs) Oh, it was so much fun. Well, actually, as you know, because we kind of took over creative writing this week, um, we have something of a tradition at this point of... Uh, that came from our original critical thinking class way back in the day where we talked about all of the techniques that people use in commercials to try to sell you something, right? We just made lists of them, you know, everything from repetition to bandwagon to waving the flag, you know, all of that stuff. And um, so their final project in that class was to make their own commercial and use as many of the techniques as they could, as they could throw in there. Um, (laughs) And they had so much fun with that, that we've kind of, even though we like for this semester, we didn't actually have that specific critical thinking class. They still want to do the commercials. So we took over creative writing and uh, went over some of the lists of, again, all those techniques to kind of 
refresh the memory of the people who've done it before and introduce it to kids this is the first time and then we sent them off to make commercials which we are they are going to get to present to the uh to their parents at the parents open house on the last day of school and they have so much fun with this project. They're so excited to do it. And they produce they, such cool stuff. I know. They goes now because they're using all the video, video editing techniques and, and all. I mean, because we've just done it as a skit normally that you then, that we then video, you know, the, but, but, you know, some of the kids are getting into like green screen action now. And um, we'll probably have some of them up available. Uh, so we should link to them or something. But uh, it is... It is great fun. Um, so I've really enjoyed watching that. And then the other thing I enjoyed, uh, which also was was really was really your fault because um, <laughs> they have their big history presentations that we do on the last day of school. So everybody picked a topic that had something to do with the American Revolution or they colonial America. Such cool topics too. Really cool topics. And um, so they're going to do a presentation again that last day of school. And uh, we get them the trifolds, you know, like you remember from the science fairs of old. And Amy's like, Amy, who is the <laughs> queen of presentations. I uh, got a lot of scholarship money from presentations. There is no shade. This is, this is all admiration. Um, was like, well, you know what makes it fun is if uh, we bring in a giant box of glitter tape and glitter letters and different, which you then, which you then did, which I know you did just because you like to shop for fun office supply things. Okay. But they have loved it and been very, they really, I really, really did. think that their projects are going to be 10% better in terms of the display because of this. I, I know it's nerdy. Well, I think it's the combination because you came in and you gave your official tips for what makes a good presentation, which was good because that's information that we might take for granted. But if you haven't done it before, it's good to know, hey, think about timeline. You're thinking about the visual presentation. So think about timelines. Think about maps. Think about your your quotes or your catchy title. Um, and then they just went to town with the glitter letters and everything. So they really had a great time. Uh, it was a complete disaster. Oh, and so messy. <laughs> it was so messy, but they cleaned it up, and um, and it was awesome. I'm so looking forward to next week, but but I have to say, the single best thing that I happened this past week, I actually wasn't even there for because I had to, you know, leave to pick up some child from school. Oh, for a second, um, I thought you were going to say it was that you taught the students about gaslighting. Oh no, that was a mistake. <laughs> That would don't ever teach your, your your students about. They hadn't heard the phrase, and uh, and uh, yeah, I may have made the mistake of explaining the <laughs> phrase and explaining it to them. And now, uh, one in particular has been just gaslighting me completely since then. And I it, he always gets me too. Like you know, well, you didn't tell us about that homework, and then I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing, but. <laughs> Can I also say, I know we're just going off on this, but can I also say, I, they were hassling me about something. And uh, because I am the teacher and the authority figure, I said, um, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. And they looked at me like I had started speaking in Klingon. They were like, what? Um. And they had never heard the phrase. And I'm like, well, okay, I know middle schoolers don't go around saying this, but what about like, when you were in kindergarten, surely when you were in kindergarten, somebody taught you this phrase. 
And they said, no, we have never heard this. I had to explain the phrase to them. And then I'm like, okay, go home and do it to your parents. And your parents will know, will will have heard it. They're like, no, this is nonsense and ridiculousness that no (laughs) one has ever heard. So anyway, that was, that was my big learning experience. But, um, so yeah, don't teach your students about gaslighting. Um, do maybe make sure they know about rubber and glue. But also, uh, I learned that they know about truth or dare because right. I heard about a really interesting truth or dare game that happens. Now you're just uh, making fun of me. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, I'm serious. This is the best thing ever. This should also become an annual tradition. So tell me about it because I believe oh. you were involved. Well, I wasn't. So, so I, it was the end of the day. At the end of the day, we have kind of this open period where kids can do what they want. Some of them work on homework. Some of them need help with something. Some of them play mash on the board, which I taught them yes. how to play and they love. Yes. Very important. Teach your students how to play mash. And so I was, I was sitting at the desk doing some work and they kept, kids kept coming out and asking me science questions like, why is the sky blue? Why are clouds fluffy? And I enjoy answering. Of course. Things, and Amy's reaction is why? Yes, I would love to have this conversation. And and so um so but but they kept coming out and asking me so I so I so I did. I would I would like give these very long explanations and like explain and try to engage in this dialogue and, and finally I was like what are what are you guys doing in there? And um they were like oh nothing nothing but it turns out that they were they were playing truth or dare. <laughs> And I was the dare. The dare was to see who could make me answer the longest. And you got extra points if I started out saying, oh, well, you know, it's actually really interesting. Because apparently I start a lot of answers like that. And they were, what, timing you? And everything yeah, like, see who like, the longest answer. That yeah. is, see, I, now what I want to know is what this, so that's the Amy dare. I want to know what the Suzanne did, because you never, I'd never see it coming, right? That's the point of it, right? right. No, so, I was completely shocked. In fact, when they were like, oh, we were playing truth or dare, I was like, do you actually know how to play truth or dare? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yes, next time they can pick on you. It will be interesting to see what the Suzanne yeah, I don't know, like, It'll probably be book related, right? It'll be something like, you know, well, tell me, hey, have you read any good books lately? Or then, Suzanne, getting you to break into spontaneous song, I feel. Oh, that's true. There. That We're would, kind of that, famous for the spontaneous song burst. I mean, sometimes you got to sing or, or else. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but hey, so so speaking of books, this is supposedly a a book podcast. Yes, we, we actually ran over with all the fun that we're having. But that's I know. fine. We are we are having fun. Um, so what book did you read that you would like to talk about today? Well, I actually had a hard time picking because of course last week was a break, so I had right. lots of reading time. But I, I am picking a book that I actually didn't love, but that I still kind of love. It's a <laughs> YA novel. It's, it's, it's a new YA novel. It's not coming out until February. So I, I read in advance of it. It's called Solstice by Lauren Allison. And it is, I'm going to go, it's a hot mess, but in, <laughs> in some fun ways. So do you know about the Fire Festival? Yes, yes. That was the disastrous concert, you know, disintegrating Lord of the Flies. 
yes, yes. It was this very expensive tropical resort concert that had all these big names booked and all these like it advertised all these luxury accommodations and all these great extras. And when people got there, there were like seven cheese sandwiches <laughs> and tents on the beach. So this book is based on that. So Sol- the Solstice Festival that's in the book's title is um, is basically the fire festival, this huge concert that all these rich kids pay to go to and they get there and it's a disaster. You know, there aren't even tents for people to sleep in. There aren't hotels. There's nothing. There's no food, no clean water. And they're all freaking out because rich kids can't handle it. But as it turns out, instead of just being incompetent, the kids have been lured here to be fed to this gigantic sea monster who lives off the island. Okay, I'm in. I don't even care. <laughs> I don't even, I'm so in. I'm all over. I want it to be filmed. Could I want to get the the long-running series version of this? Doesn't um, it sound like it should be so good? I, I Totally, I would watch the series. This should be a series. Like the best mockumentary reality show fictionalized ever thing i mean yes i would like to option that for hollywood please right it now should have been pure campy fun like it i i was so excited to read it because it seemed like it would just be a hoot but it was it was actually kind of disappointing because the the protagonist is this working class girl who sees all the rich kids as really obnoxious she's been invited by her really rich friend and all the rich kids are very much stereotypes who then uh. when they the ones who who survive at the end. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying there are some survivors. Like, turn their lives around and decide that they've been wasteful Um, and selfish and they're going to be better people. That's no fun. We don't want learning and growing. And instead of being some ridiculous horror story, it ends up being, like, insurance fraud ends up being the thing that it all turns on. So... So I feel like somebody needs to go and write me this book like, because I want this book. I want, I this, want book. this book so, so badly now. So, yes. so if someone would write me this book, I would be really happy. But I, I had to talk about it because it's the book I've been thinking about the most because I, I because wanted to love it. I was so there. Eating rich teenagers. I Fire mean, Festival horror. <laughs> Fire Festival. That should be – okay, that should be a new category that I will read everything – that's labeled that. Right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the awesomest and the best. Oh, so uh, well. It's disappointing, but such a good topic. I mean, I've run into some of those lately where it's like, oh, you know, you do like the, the, the two sentence, you know, blurb, and I'm like, yes, I will treasure this book always. And then you read it and it's like, you know, didn't quite live up to the premise. But, um, but it's such a great premise. Somebody steal it, please. Yes, and, please. What about well, you? What are you reading? Well, so you had maybe mentioned a little bit about underwater monster YA horror, and I was like, yes, I can get I down actually that. tell you what I read in advance because I'm not okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's important to spring, but but we talked about this. Um, uh, so my underwater monster YA book that I did read last week is uh, Harrison Squared by Daryl Gregory. Um, if you read any library check-in, I talk about Daryl Gregory uh, often. He writes uh, science fiction slash fantasy slash horror. He's not super well-known, but I love him because his books are unlike anything else I read. 
right? I mean, when you run across those authors that you don't know what their next book is going to be about, but you know it's not going to be like anything else ever. Um, I and he's consistently does that. I'm I'm consistently blown away by like, oh, okay, this this is new. Um, I've read almost all of his books. I've loved most of them. The few that I haven't loved, which are closer to his earlier novels, I'm still so glad that I read them because they still had that moment of like, wow, these are ideas I've never, I've never seen before. Um, his most recent novel is called Spoonbenders. Ah, oh, which, which you liked. I did. And it's kind of like broken into the mainstream a teensy bit. It ended up on some of the best of the year lists when it was published 2017. Um, the Amazon blurb is like, a generation's spanning family of psychics, both blessed and burdened by their abilities, must use their powers to save themselves from the CIA, the local mafia, and a skeptic hell-bent on discrediting them. Um, All right. Which, yeah, that sounds good, right? Yeah. It's not, it definitely is funny in places, but I mean, that makes it sound almost like a little bit of a wacky romp. And it's not so much a wacky romp as it is a, a family novel, right? It's about family relationships and dealing and family tragedies and family, you know, all these kinds of things, which is, it's not sad necessarily. It's just, it's not a wacky romp. But anyway, um, I really liked it. They're doing an adaptation at Showtime. I think they're doing a pilot to consider turning it into a series. And I, man, I just can't keep up with all, I mean, the adaptations of great books that are, that are in the works. Um, but anyway, so that's his most recent novel. This Harrison Squared is from a few years ago. It's a YA fantasy novel, even though my library didn't shelve it in the YA section for some reason. <laughs> um, and I promised you that they're underwater monsters. And of course, when I think underwater monsters, the first thing, and I asked you when you were talking about the Fire Festival book, is, uh, is you know, I got to think of good old H.P. Lovecraft, um, which, you know, not my pal H.P. Lovecraft, but, you know, good old H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Um so I yeah, uh, have a we, Lovecraft weakness for sure. You'll read any Lovecraft homage. I will read any, especially modern day Lovecraft adjacent, like taking the Lovecraft world and bringing it into the modern day where gasp, less racist. Yeah. Gasp. There are people <laughs> of color and gasp. There are women. You know, I love that. Um, and this, this book does that a little bit. Uh, we start with a teenage protagonist named Harrison Harrison. Which is oh, that's that's Harrison. not okay. Okay, he's like Harrison Harrison the third. I think the author just wanted to make a joke, but you know, right, they, right. Yeah. No, it's a, it um, makes for a good title. Uh, they it opens so the book opens with a memory from when he was like three of this disastrous boating expedition with his parents, where his father drowns oh. and Harrison himself loses a leg. So he's he has a prosthetic leg. Um, supposedly he lost his leg when it was cut on a piece of the boat when it overturned. But as we see, when he goes back to this memory, his three-year-old memory is of tentacles in the water, um, and his dad being pulled under by the giant tentacled beast. And I'm like, yep, yep, you got me. I'm, I am here for this. Um, uh, so the present time Harrison and his mom travel to a small town on the Atlantic coast so his mom can do oceanic research. The town is named Dunsmouth. If you are a Lovecraft fan, then that's clearly a reference to Innsmouth, his big town. Um, so it's interesting because the book doesn't, I mean, I have read some books that just straight up take the Lovecraft world and use it. And this book doesn't exactly do this, but it like 
changes everything slightly, right? It changes the names of everything. Nothing is essentially changed. Um, so anyway, he goes to high school and the required courses in this town are like cryptobiology, um, <laughs> net awesome. making, uh, famous, dic- you know, famous dictators of the world, you know, which is better, authoritarianism or totalitarianism. Um, and the students all go to this weird religious ceremony before classes. So, so basically this kid goes and finds himself in a Lovecraft story and his mom goes missing and there's weird creatures he's seen around town. And I was, I loved it. Um, it was great. It does a really nice job um, of, like I said, bringing the contemporary and kind of in there and kind of playing with the Lovecraft reputation. Harrison himself is a uh, mixed race. His dad was white and his mom is from, um, one of the indigenous peoples, I don't know if it's Central or South America, but so he is a person of color. His mom is a person of color. And like the people in the town are just kind of this very white town are all just kind of like, huh, <laughs> not sure, not sure what to do with that, which just tickled me because well, that's, that's like a very nice little kind of finger wag at Lovecraft. So I, so I think that's kind of fun. I love that. It's meta. right. You know, the, the creepiest characters go on at some point about, oh, look, we'll just, you know, they talk, they, they use the word primitive. And of course there's, you know, there's reaction to that. Um, but yeah, so he definitely is, is plain, plain, you know, t- uh, taking, you know, Lovecraft's extremely racist uh, views and playing with them a little bit, which I enjoyed. Um, so with this book, there's kind of a good news, bad news, good news, bad news situation, Right. The, the good news is I loved it. Um, as Amy says, I'm a sucker for books like this, but this was one of the, the better ones that I've read. Um, I found the ending satisfying, but bad news, it does leave some things open-ended and there's a little kind of cliffhangery element. So the good news is it's the first in a trilogy and Gregory has actually written, according to him, the, the, rest, the rest of the series, the other two books. Uh, okay. The bad news is they were supposed to come out in 2017, and oh. they haven't yet. And, of course, you never hear anything. Like, there's no, you know, at least I don't have access to the publishing world. So I have no idea if they're going to come out. If, like, oh, Spoonbenders, well, that's been kind of big. Maybe they'll, I mean, for Gregory. So maybe that will, you know, maybe they'll want to put out these books. Or if there was something they decided not to put out these books and will never get the rest of this. Maybe they series. got eaten by a giant sea monster. Or maybe it got eaten by a giant sea monster. Um, you know, so so who knows? Uh so do do be warned. I recommend it. It's a little bit now, of a cliffhanger. If the if the other books never come out, would you feel satisfied with the ending? Yes. Okay. Well so that's yes. That's good. I think I I really, I know I complain about this all the time, but I really dislike this trend in especially YA literature where a writer leaves you completely hanging at the end of the first book where nothing is resolved and they kind of expect you to come back. Like it stopped in the middle, right? Like it didn't end, but it, it just stopped. Like there's an ending here, right? There's a big climax Harrison is able to, to um, spoiler, he's able to save his mom, but she's still ill, right? There's still problems, right? She isn't, everything is not okay at the end of the book, but they're going to start working on making it okay. And then the bad guys are still, like, it's got that little 
stinger at the end where the bad guys are still off bad guy and planning their next bad guy thing. That doesn't bother me as long as the actual story gets resolved. Like the the major conflict of the novel, which which I assume is his missing mom, sort of. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but it, it does not feel, there are definitely books that feel like, wait, there should be a whole other you know, second half of the book after this. And it, it does not feel so that angry that I, I do not like it. I feel hoodwinked. I yes. want some resolution at the end of a book. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, so I, I am glad that I read it. I might even like, re- I could see myself rereading it at some point. Um, uh, even if the other two books, can, although we're in a, mo- you know, the modern day situation where I'm like, well, maybe he'll self publish them at some point. Right. No, no, <laughs> if well, they're written. <laughs> that seems to be a great road for many authors to take now. It's so nice yeah. that the stigma of it is gone because I, I do think that traditional publishing has a lot to do with connections, which does skew to kind of a privileged white authorship. Right. And it's really great to see publishing opening up to more people i mean you get some terrible books but you also get them from publishing houses right right so so anyway so that's that's my my review of harrison squared by daryl gregory go off and read it especially if you're a lovecraft fan um go off and read his other books be warned they are weird (laughs) um they often have a little horror element to them also um and harrison actually shows up in a, a later book that i had read one of the first books I read called uh, We Are All Completely Fine, which is about a group there, you know, it's a therapy group. It's a group session for all these kids who have survived uh, like various horror scenarios, right? Like the final girl from a slasher or so this is a therapy group for all of these individual people who have, who have been through anyway. And now I need to go back. I like that. That's really fun. Uh, You you have to go back and read that one. I have to go back and read that. Now I know who Harrison is. So, um, so anyway, uh, uh, fingers crossed that it comes out, but we are heading into the holiday break, which means basically more reading. Yeah. Do you have anything you're looking forward to? Well, the sequel to the Sorcerer and the Crown is at the top of my list because I loved the Sorcerer and the Crown. Uh, that Jane Austen world with magic, sign me up. I, I absolutely it's, love it's the so characters. Good. Is it good? And, have you- oh, of course. I think I've, I think I've, I've, I have raved about sorcerer before. Um, because it brings feminism, and that's bring feminism, but it brings women and people of color to this lily white regency fantasy genre that I love. I love anyway. Um, and it really like like interesting, meaningful, useful way. I mean, it's it's really good. So so okay. So the sequel's been out for a little bit. I had pre-ordered it because I loved Sorcerer <laughs> so much. I went back and reread Sorcerer before I read the sequel, and Sorcerer was even better than I remembered it was. Like I enjoyed it even more um, than I had thought I was going to on the reread. Uh, the second, the sequel is called The True Crown. I happen to have a copy if you'd like to borrow mine. Yes, um, thank you. <laughs> and it it it's set in the same world, and it um it the the main characters of the first books are secondary characters in this book. Uh, so there's a whole other group of people you get to meet, um, but also she takes some of my favorite secondary characters from the from the first book, and they become front and center. Oh, awesome! But we do get to see a little Prunella and Zachary, right? Yes, I we love do. Them. 
we do get to see a little Prunella and Zachary, and um, it doesn't actually start out in London. It starts out in another part of the world, and then we end up there. And uh, so Amy talked about reading the next book, and I was like, wait, wait, is another book out? Wait, I should know that. I'm on all the mailing lists, so she got me. No, I'm just slow. But I mean, I'm really excited to read that, and the new Philip Pullman I have on my list. I'm excited about that. Oh, right, Yeah. And I am going to try to read the first book in the Red Rising series because one of my students recommended it. I have this policy, um, and it's an easier policy because I'm a fast reader. It would be different, I think, if it took me a long time to read books. But I have a policy where if a student really recommends a book to me, I, I try to go and read it because we're always asking them to read things. We're always saying, Absolutely. I think this is a book that you should read. And, and so it's always it's like, this is so good. Not even right. like, not even like, oh, I like this book and it might, but it's, it's coming from that authority figure yes. of this book is good. And if you don't like it, I mean, the subtext, if you don't like it, then there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and well, and so, and so I feel like it's important for me to, to be respectful when students come to me with that same excitement for a book, you right. know? And, and I mean, I've read some good books that way. I've read some books I didn't like and some books I did like, but it's always really interesting to see what other people love and and what they want you to read. I also sat through six seasons of Supernatural for that reason, because the student recommended it. And that was a dark time. It's like, not, not, I do not recommend that. But it was, it was worth it. there are things to be said. Oh, there are things to be said, but I'm not sure that that's. I don't think I'm allowed. I think we'd have to like put the explicit label on our podcast. But but I love that you that it's a two way street with you. With I try to make students. it. A, I, it's important to me. So what about you? What what are you planning to read over the break? Well, you know, I told you I was going to ask you that question, so you'd think that I'd have some titles lined up in my head. <laughs> but of course, at the moment, I'm trying to think of what's on my my nightstand. Right, the stack of library books that I've got on my nightstand. And mostly it's books about the history of, of uh, slavery and abolition because oh. we're doing our Civil War section. Um, I don't know that I would say I'm excited about reading those, um, although I did get the new, um, uh, I'm not going to remember the author's name or I'm going to mangle it, uh, the uh, How to Be Anti-Racist by the author of Stamped from the Beginning, yes. which is such, such a good book. Um so I am, I am excited to read, I mean, it's not happy books, Dan, from the beginning, but it's excellent. So I'm really excited to read um, How to Be Anti-Racist by the same author. Uh, but what I have been doing, I will tell you, it's the end, it's the best of year book list time of year, my favorite time of year. <laughs> so I have been going through those and, uh, and, and making, you know, because a lot of these are already on my to read list. But now I'm kind of like, all right, yeah, they're, they're, you know, putting them on hold at the library. So I have a giant, actually I have a giant stack of holds that are already in. I have checked out the max and I have three books overdue at the moment. So if you, you want to know how library, library chicken, chickening, it is not going well. Um, but it's so interesting reading these because I'm reading them like in my genre, right? So it's a lot of like best of science, best science fiction, best fantasy, best horror. and um, and uh, it's always like, so there'll be maybe 20 books on the list and maybe on a good year, I've read like five, right? Because I don't do really well with reading books the year they come out. Right. Um, but it's always interesting because I have yet to see a list where I've read books on the list and I agree with every book. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. of the five I've read, like 
four of them I will have loved, right? Yes, yes, should be on the list. And then the fifth one is always a book that has gotten a lot of buzz and everybody loved. And I just, I just didn't, you know? I mean, not that it's a terrible book, but it's just like, no, I, you know, I, I read it, but I, so that just always makes me think of how subjective all of this stuff is. Yeah, because well, it really is. Yeah, it's so subjective because because these are you know yeah anyway it's it's always interesting to me the books that everybody that I like loves and then I read them and I I less than love them. It's so, a little sad. Speaking of best of the year book list, I want to point out to everyone in case you missed it that Suzanne actually wrote her best graphic novels read in 2019 list for the Library Chicken on the Homeschool Life blog. Is it our I first? asked Suzanne, actually wrote a Library Chicken. <laughs> this is the headline here. <laughs> well, I really was excited about the Lucy Nicely books. I had never heard of her, and now I'm, like, she inspired to go so read them all. good. Okay, so if you don't know Lucy Nicely, she um, – I found her because she does online cartoons about her cat, Lenny, and I am a sucker for cat cartoons. But she also does lovely, and she's got, basically she does uh, graphic memoirs. Um, and there's been a whole, uh, anyway, I fell in love with her through her cat cartoons. Her cat, Lenny, is has followed her through many of these graphic memoirs. Um, Lenny passed away earlier this year, which was very sad. But, um, but they... Uh, uh, she is going to come out with a book entirely about Lenny, which is wonderful. But anyway, I love all of her other books. Um, and I have to say, I don't know if I told you this. She so one of the things she does if you are a if you follow her on Patreon, I I, I subscribe to her on Patreon, and um, she offers occasionally she offers um, I can't think of the word. You know, she'll she'll draw things for you, right? What's the word for that? I don't Mission. remember. Commissions, thank you. She offers <laughs> commissions. And to cheer herself up after she lost Lenny, she started doing commissions she called Cat Me's, um, where basically people could send her a picture and then she would draw a, a, a cat cartoon of you. Aww, so, like with awesome. glasses or, you know, reading a book or whatever. And they're adorable. Um, and I wanted a Cat Me so bad. Uh, but people have really loved them. So every time she says, okay, I'm ready to do some more cat me's, like literally two minutes later, um, the list is full. Oh, wow. And there's no more, no more you know, and it's, but they're very reasonably priced. I forget what she, she, I mean, it's like $50 or something like that. So they're very reasonably priced for a piece of artwork that you are getting. Um, so one day I was sad that I, I had missed it. I had missed the window so uh, my daughter Elizabeth, who uh, loves drawing and lo- is 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 one of the artists we have and in the cats. family. She loves drawing and cats. And cats. She went and did a family portrait of all six of us as cat me's, and I have it hanging oh. on my wall. And I wrote for Thanksgiving. This is turning into a long story. We are supposed to be so wrapping up, but um, <laughs> so. One thing I did for Thanksgiving this year was I sent some thank you notes to people on the internet who I have never like actually interacted with. I don't comment on the internet, right? I just lurk. So, um, so, but I thought, you know, these are people that, that bring joy into my lives, into my life. And we need joy in our life in 2019. 
So I kind of just wanted to send like an old fashioned thank you fan letter and just say, hey, you don't know me. And and I subscribe to your Patreon or I listen to your podcast, but um, you've never, you know, I never comment. So you wouldn't know who I am, but I just wanted to say thank you. And I really appreciate what you do. And I'm a fan. And um, so I sent one to Lucy Neasley and I included with, with my daughter's permission, I said, um, I explained the whole situation and said that my daughter had drawn a cap cat me portrait of the family and that she said if you'd like to see it here's a link and she emailed me back and she oh, said that it was so wonderful and she was so impressed it's the best cat me she'd ever seen I mean oh. she was she was just lovely uh, so follow her read her graphic memoirs on uh, being a young woman on um, marriage on parenthood she has a little kid right now she has a, she calls him she calls him pal which is short for palindrome because his birthday is a palindrome and she doesn't want to use his real name on the web oh fair enough but i love following her and her husband and pal and um anyway sorry that was a whole loosely measly thing but she was so sweet she sent back such a lovely email that is so uh, nice well and and i enjoyed your i mean I, I i wanted to go and buy several of the graphic novels on your list so i was excited to get the list without any kind of uh passive aggressive uh <laughs> for, right? i feel like every time i say thank you you're like i'm sorry next one in the works yeah I'll, I'll put it out there and then i'll have to do it over the break we'll see if that works I've got one for horror, which is a genre I have Ooh. just started getting into. Um, and and I don't know why. I don't know why. Suddenly horror, I don't know, um, with the world. 2019? Is, <laughs> is somehow relevant to me. But um, so I have a horror best of list coming out. All right. Um, we, we do have to wrap up, though, because we have five minutes before students start showing up. So I'm, I'm cutting you off, Suzanne. I'm cutting you off. Okay, I'm stopped. I'm Technically, <laughs> officially, this is a wrap. For episode four of the Library Chicken Podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine and our fabulous Patreon supporters. We appreciate you guys so much. We will back be back soon with our library lists at the ready to chat more about reading dangerously. So see you then. And one more thing. No, I'm just kidding. Bye. <laughs> Bye.